0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, as usual, a fantastic episode of the Web3 Show with Elio Trades. We discuss regulation in crypto, stablecoin regulation specifically, what USDC stablecoins mean for the Ethereum blockchain, what the future of stablecoin and crypto regulation could look like, what the positives could be, what the negatives could be. We also discuss gaming and what the next wave of adoption for NFTs specifically could be, and then also the Board Ape Yacht Club ecosystem. Them. You know, CryptoPunks versus Bored Apes are there risk factors for CryptoPunks now that Yuga Labs owns them and more. So overall, fantastic episode with Elio Trades. Hope you enjoy it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen on the East Coast, and good morning to those of you on the West Coast. That techno-electronic jam was courteous, uh, courtesy of the one and only <laughs> the one and only Elio Trades uh, recommendation. That's his vibe. I love to curate those songs for this show to match his vibe. Anyway, this is the Web3 show. We do this show Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Shout out to the West Coasters and 12 p.m. Eastern time each and every week where we discuss all things crypto, NFTs, Web3, finance, technology, gaming, real estate, macro, whatever financial component art you want to talk about, we totally can dive into it. Uh, we love doing the show. We want to keep doing it. I pinned a tweet to the top that just has the link to the show. If you could retweet that tweet just to get the show in front of as many listeners as possible on Twitter, just because the Twitter UI uh, does not really offer us that benefit right now, it would be helpful. I'm your host, Po, here with my co-host, the one and only Elio Trades, prolific content creator, one of the biggest YouTube content creators out there focused on the crypto market, building the imposter's game as well as Superfarm DAO. Uh, Absolute badass, extremely well-researched and knowledgeable. We love collaborating with them. And of course, Nifty Nick, my co-host, my co-founder in our business, and one of the funniest and sometimes the most controversial people in the Web3 space. We've had a hell of a morning so far. Really excited to get in the mix now on the Web3 show. We have a ton to talk about. I felt the energy yesterday from Elliot. Elliot, how are you doing today?
1: You know, as as the newly anointed uh, techno electronic king of Web three tweets,
0: techno electronic. Uh, uh, uh,
1: <laughs> Nick couldn't handle that. No, thank you, thank you, Pio. I, I love the title, and yeah, I mean, like this show has been an absolute riot. Like I have wanted to do spaces. I surveyed the spaces landscape, and what what people might not know is I was behind the scenes. I was like a fly on the wall in a lot of spaces for for weeks and weeks. People probably saw me hanging out in a bunch of random spaces, and I DM'd like, you know, only really just a couple of people that I thought were doing a good job. And PO and Nick were right at the top of the list. And so it's been a, it's been an awesome uh, journey so far, collabing with you guys. And I think we're good, we're gonna start building some pretty unique content here uh, in this Twitter Spaces format. I can't wait to do it. And you know, between you and Nick, it, it, the show every day is super, super, super fun, super dynamic. Um, I think it's gonna keep growing.
0: Oh, you're going to make me cry. I'm over uh, here. I'm, I'm sweating now uh, after that fantastic little uh, monologue from Elliot. We love collabing with you too, buddy. Nick, what were you going to say?
2: I'm just really looking forward to some more of that techno, electronica, trance, dance, house, and other, uh, you know, uh, that sort of genre of music um, and really looking into learning about the electronic beats uh, that are playing.
0: Hey, I never said that I was the, the techno-electronic expert. I didn't say that. Um, I said that I wanted to play music that Elliot thinks is good music, and he's got these great jams that he's thrown in that in our backdoor Discord chat, so that's what I run with. But anyway, uh, why don't we get in the mix? Look, the big story of the NFT space, there's only one name that you can drop right now, and it's Art Gobblers. That's the big story of the NFT space. But I know that Elliot was really you know, thinking that this was a huge week for the macro uh, climate, like just macro news. So why don't we start with that? And then I want to get Elliot's perspective on our gobblers. And if that's something that he would deploy capital into, I'm very curious. But Elliot, wh- why don't you kick things off and we'll we'll kind of run with it.
1: Yeah. So first of all, you know, we just saw, I guess, on the macro side, the, the headline number is that there were uh, an increase. The number of job openings in September rose, by 437,000 to 10.7 million. Uh, What this means is that more supply uh, typically means that People are going to start bidding up prices on wages uh, to get people to actually work for them. So there's uh, when there's less supply of workers and more um, buyers uh, than there are sellers of work, then what you have is number go up, which is another form of inflation, right? So you can think of it like that. Like the cost per labor hour is going up, and that is a form of inflation. And so what does the government want to do? Well, they want to, they want to take jobs away so that effectively uh, the amount that people are getting paid goes down. And demand goes down. You know, if everyone's getting paid more, well, then more and more people can afford just one dollar more uh, on their sandwich every day and, and so on. And so um, it's all part of this inflationary spiral. So when you look at the number of jobs going up like it did in September, you're thinking, hmm, this is absolutely not what you want to see but this is also not a green light. This is like an ultra neon flashing green light to the Fed that they can hit the gas pedal on on more um, tightening measures. So to me, it, it all fits in. Uh, the Fed should be stepping on the gas with uh, their sort of macro pressure on the economy. Um, but we're just trading JPEGs. Who the hell cares? Let's go gobble up some 10 uh, some ETH JPEGs, brothers.
0: Well, maybe we're trading JPEGs, or maybe we're buying those crypto coins uh, that everybody asks you, you know, which one is the best, Elliot. Or maybe we're buying stocks that are down 5 to 10% day after day uh, and are massive tech, you know, magnates. Or maybe we're buying real estate in an actual desirable location at a high interest rate with the hopes of refinancing in a couple of years, right? So there's a lot of different angles here. And, and you unmuted. Do you have uh, something to add there, Elliot? Yeah, obviously, uh, you know
1: my my perspective is that at a certain level, you have crypto, which you know we all believe should start to form its own market structure in any kind of bear market because it, it isn't exactly the Nasdaq. It started trading like the Nasdaq in correlation because of the 2020 stimulus, right? You had all this money come into the market, and then you had a whole bunch of hedge funds add crypto as like an as like a higher beta Nasdaq. I think over the course of this bear market, over this downturn, you know, those professional traders are kind of gone. Uh, most of them sold out. It's, it's becoming a retail-driven market again, and it'll start having its own market structure hopefully in the next little while here. It hasn't happened yet, um, but in the end, there's always been a hope, you know, and I'm going to be very clear. We don't know if this is the case, but it's been my, my theory, theory, right? could be wrong, could be right, that we would get some kind of isolated NFT market growth that would be you know, a reflection of how new and how interesting this whole thing is. And um, kind of like going back to Nick's point that he made a couple of shows ago to Eric Crown, where you were saying, look, if you were just blindfolded and said, I have asset A, asset B, asset C, and asset C is actually a bored ape and it's up you know, X thousand percent and it's actually worth six figures or you're a punk and you could actually cash it in for a significant amount of money, whereas everything else in your portfolio, you, you've you rebalanced. Well, if you just had a blindfold on, you'd say, yes, sell that. But the fact is that you don't want to um, for so many reasons, right? many reasons, it's not just one reason, actually many, many reasons. And so the NFT thing is very, very interesting. There's real value in NFTs that goes beyond just sort of you know speculative you know financial trading. There is an element of speculation, and I'm excited to see where this industry goes. Uh, so as much as macro should have some kind of like input on the direction of the market and liquidity in the market, um, it's very interesting to see this young asset class grow, and, and things like art gobblers, which is what we just saw. By the way, I don't have any art gobblers. I was not given any free mints. I don't have any good friends that told me about them um and uh and so uh you know i actually did see them coming around i just i don't i don't like to get involved with hype mints i'll I, i usually buy things on secondary quietly sort of later later on is sort of my my policy just to stay out of the drama of the nft scene which seems to be never ending um but at the same time uh it it's nice to see that there is a tremendous amount of liquidity there for the right projects
0: Yeah, I mean, we didn't uh, get access to Art gobblers either. Obviously, a lot of hype on the Mint. It'll be interesting to see where it settles. It's not common for projects like this to be able to maintain their kind of inflated prices right after they drop. I mean, you saw it with Moonbirds. I think that's the example. Um, And that was before the big kind of bubble burst. What you said about isolated growth in the NFT market in, in certain sectors, I almost think that you could say that about what we saw in 2021 like at first you saw the fine art growth and that was through beeple's big sale that attracted everybody quickly um but then you saw the growth in the collectibles market, you know, board apes kind of leading that. And then the kind of profile picture bull run that we saw for almost a full calendar year, not quite, but, uh, almost a full calendar year. Uh, and then I'm assuming Elliot, you would think that gaming is next up. Is that a fair assumption for me to make that gaming would be the kind of next sector of NFTs that you think could see an isolated, uh, you know, period of growth?
1: Well, I want to be really clear. There's, there's the, um, The vehicle for on-ramping new users, which I believe is gaming. Uh, We could see a lot of stuff with like platform-native stuff. The main thing is that people need to value the usage of these things. And there's no other market on earth that people are using avatars, collectibles, digital stuff like gaming. So the usage of the NFT in games in their current business model is so clear and obvious. Anyone can get that. Every professional I've talked to over the last year to really since the Axie Infinity thing has said that they're now shifting their focus to Web3 Gaming, they just don't know exactly how they're going to do it, right? So gaming is happening. However, I want to also be very clear. Uh, The profile picture, the PFP, is, to me, the pop music format of NFTs. This is the verse-chorus format, right? And so you can have verse-chorus in any genre, right it doesn't matter whether you have a country song a hip hop song whatever there is a superpower a a mega a collectible relatable brand building format for a uh, nft collection that's not you know rarity based edition based but we've seen that the tradability and the thing that brings volume and community and excitement is this sort of generative PFP format. Now, will there be other formats? Of course there will be other formats. But it's my position, it's my theory that PFP is verse chorus and that this is pop music and that you can apply it to any genre gaming um, utility otherwise.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, di- you, and you're talking about digital identity, right? It's like digital identity is something that is not going anywhere. It's only going to become more relevant as we're more ingrained with technology, with social media. Uh, on the gaming side, there's there's avatars. If anything, you could say that digital identity almost comes from the gaming side, right? I mean, I think that there's a, a case to be made there. It's either gaming or like you know message boards, like early internet pre Reddit message boards. Uh, I think would be the earliest examples, and I think that they, they might Might go hand in hand, Um, so I mean, I guess if we do, if we or or go ahead, Nick, you unmuted. I I was
2: just uh, going to date you on uh, online communities uh, and uh, go back to news groups. That would be the uh, starting point of a lot of this.
0: Okay, news groups were the BBS
2: actually boards would would have predated news groups even further. So. That just shows how old I am. Sorry, back to you, Pia.
0: No, no, it's all good, and Nick, I'd I'd be curious to hear, you know, what you think about like maybe what the next kind of adoption cycle for NFTs uh, is. What we could also talk about is like whether our Uh, Gobblers is a buy here. My gut would think it might not be, but then again, you never know. It could run to like seventeen ETH, and it could be like a a five thousand dollar USD trade in a couple of days for people that have the liquidity to be able to buy. But I'd just be curious, like, what you think uh, about you know either the the kind of next cycle for NFTs or if there's something about Art Gobblers that would attract you.
2: Well, art gobblers is completely irrelevant. The floor price of that's going to drop down, and uh, anybody outside of those who are on Twitter, crypto Twitter, uh, has no idea what art gobblers are. And if th- it's the same meme of like, you're telling me that JPEG's worth twenty thousand dollars or a hundred, like it's just an absurd amount of money um, for an NFT uh, or for a digital asset. So a lot of people are just going to sort of scoff at it, regardless. Uh, so it's counter to mainstream onboarding um, because anyone who had a severe level of, I, I would say like greed as it applied to uh, flipping JPEGs or something like that probably has been mostly attracted into this space. and uh, a large portion of them probably left as well. Um, I think that uh, in terms of mainstream adoption, there was uh, there's this woman, Charlene Lee. Uh, who was a uh, analyst? She still is an analyst, I believe. Um, but she uh, years ago, this is in uh, the social media uh, era. She used to talk about how, like, all of this, uh, all of the platforms are going to fade to the background, and instead, uh, you know, just messaging becomes this like other layer. That didn't actually materialize, right? Like, you actually end up choosing, like, I'm going to go on TikTok, or I'm going to go on Twitter, or I'm going to go on Facebook uh, or wherever I'm going to go, et cetera. Um, so that didn't occur, but in the NFT space in particular, that that statement seems more relevant. I didn't view, I didn't fully agree, uh, with her assessment at that point, but primarily because like, uh, the, her, her thesis and I'm getting like two, uh, like technical here for one second, when, when Facebook came out, there were, there, or for a period of time, as they were growing, not when they came out, there was this concept that they were going to be a walled garden and that the whole internet was going to be locked behind Facebook. And to a certain degree, that manifested. A large amount of the internet is there. Google doesn't have access to it. So when you go and search for something on Google, Facebook posts are not the place that's showing up. So to a large degree, that actually is uh, a fact. But the reality is in in terms of like transparent technology, it's not the same as like email, right? Email, you can interact with anybody on any email address and they could be using Gmail, they could be using Yahoo, they could be using Hotmail, they could host their own system. You can basically uh, have that anywhere and the uh, protocol exists. That was kind of the reason that I feel like a lot of the blockchain people focus on quote protocols is because uh, the idea that really is just an infrastructure uh, level. And it's also uh, compelling from an investment standpoint because people want to invest in the uh, picks and shovels, not in the um, people that are building necessarily. So but I think that... What were we going to say?
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to echo that point. I think, I think you're really, you know, obviously onto something um, with that. I'm curious what you think about sort of like, you know, um, sort of big money you know, systematically backing, um, you know, what are these more specific plays as we've seen, like Art gobblers is obviously backed by like paradigm, which is, you know, the co-founder of Coinbase. It's like the, one of the biggest VCs, uh, in, in the history of the world. Um, what is your, what is your feeling about sort of like these super experimental plays by VCs? Well,
2: I think you just described it properly, super experimental because, uh, back in the Facebook, I'm obviously obsessed with the Facebook stuff just because I lived through that and I feel I see a lot of uh, parallels in this space right now on the investing side. Um, There were people that built in Facebook app developers. Those were the people that were actually building applications on Facebook within their Chrome. And there were a number of people that ended up succeeding. I think of Zynga uh, is a business that manifested. Um, But 100% of those uh, products, it was a small percentage that actually ended up succeeding. Instead, there was this rush of cash. It was a gold rush. If you built an application on Facebook at the beginning, you instantly got uh, thousands and thousands of users if you uh, figured out how to build that. And brands were rushing in. I remember uh, I had MTV, uh, Weather Channel, Wall Street Journal, all these uh, uh, clients who were uh, trying to build applications at that point in time they were all rushing into the space. They had to go build them, and some of those would go viral, other ones wouldn't, but no one actually stuck around. Today, like now, now, like no one uses Facebook applications. It's not even a concept that uh, crosses anybody's mind and no one would go develop on it. Additionally, Zynga uh, and all these other people had to actually go and pivot off the platform. There were only a handful of companies that did this. Buddy Media uh, was one. They sold to Salesforce and then was uh, in in a called uh, uh, Social Cloud was what uh, Mark Benioff branded it as. That's basically dead. Like that product's gone. Uh, Zynga pivoted into mobile gaming. um, And they're not doing as well uh, as like, they don't have the same growth trajectory that existed at that point in time. I'm going to get this full thought out, uh, which was, I see a lot of similar parallels, and the reality is is it made a lot of sense uh, last year to go, and in the beginning of this year, to go and raise funding because you could get an obscene amount of money for operating in this space. But when I see some of the niche examples, when I look at uh, games in particular, look, like any game actually does have the potential of successfully going and building a game. Uh, should they develop the correct team? Should they b- go build a great game, which is like the key ingredient here for, for all these different things? I, I, and I'm signaling out gaming only because it's it's one of the edges that exists within, these, uh, within this ecosystem. There was gaming on Facebook's platform as well. It was a similar thing that happened, although they had distribution built in, which is something that inherently does not exist in this space. Um, so you don't have that. And so I think that um, basically most investors are going to get wrecked, like just hands down. And this is a a sobering take, but I actually think that the majority of them are going to get wrecked. A lot of them are going to be looking for liquidity options within the next 12 to 24 months on some of the bets that they ended up uh, placing. And then uh, the other aspect of what's going to go down here is. Uh, NFTs are going to fade to the background and digital assets and digital collectibles are going to rise to the top. So that, that's, that's effectively where we're going to go. And so like, we'll talk about that. We'll trade it. And maybe like, we're part of a broader geeky group of people that value digital collectibles. Is that that was
1: like when your ways takes you like um around the entire mountain? When you were going <laughs> there you next go. Door. Yeah, you're um, welcome. I was like, what, was, what was the point there? Okay, no, so the point. The point, the point was
2: <laughs> was literally they're all going to get wrecked. Broadly speaking, most of the investors are actually not going. It's not going to pan out for a lot of them, um, and that's because what you said. It's experimental. I think that's all good though, and that's also indicative of the fact of the amount of sheer amount of capital that we discussed yesterday about flushing through the system, this is just part of that cycle. And I think that that's basically what's going down now is that there's a lot of VCs and investment funds that have a lot of capital that they can invest. And just like any other investment uh, group, when you hire like a, a management fund versus uh, like an index fund, the majority of people get wrecked. Yeah, I, I agree, right? Except there's the caveat that if you understand,
1: and this is something that is core to sort of my content, or has been over the last few years, which is that if you understand the nature of liquidity hype and, and sort of these um, cycles for these assets, you can end up, you know, playing them, making great money, regardless of the outcome. Uh, But understand that there's two outcomes and they're polar, right? You either have, you know, incredible gains or you have pretty mediocre performance you know overall path to zero and that's kind of the nature of digital assets is that they'll either continue to grow aggressively and exponentially or they will you know die. And so um, by having a, an ecosystem, a product that grows, it can really bolster the growth of the asset class um, and that's really the hope with things like gaming. Uh, however, in the end, all of these cycles either go you know indefinitely up or indefinitely down and that's really the game that's being played. Of course for people who are more savvy, you know, and one of the things that was quite painful over the last cycle was seeing, you know, that a lot of people don't, you know, they, they always round trip, they don't take profits, they don't know how to like risk manage, they don't know how to sort of like separate their emotions, um, which is a shame because there was so many, you know, there, there is so much, um, you know, generosity in the crypto market and how many opportunities there are, but you have to be super disciplined, you have to separate your emotions and, and that's a different journey that takes a while to actually master.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And obviously, Elliot, you've been around the block with this. I mean, look, we've seen now a hyped, hyped, hyped mint of art gobblers. I think I'm in the same school of thought, like I'm in the same camp as Nick, which I don't think that it'll retain this high price. I think maybe you see it run from here a little bit higher. So people that buy here could theoretically make money on a trade, but obviously that's not a guaranteed a guarantee, but much like you know the Invisible Friends uh, example, other deed example, even at this point, Moonbirds, uh, Reddit they, NFTs. Well, Reddit. Well, sure, Reddit NFTs largely have pulled back. Although it, it like uh, I was talking to our pal, um, you know, John Carlo. And it sounded like he had some interest in Reddit NFTs. He just put out a video on them. Um, I guess that there are like some areas there that could be profitable, but obviously you have to do the the research on them. Um, I am in the school of thought that our gobblers will pull back. We'll see where it pulls back. We've also seen Dogecoin... Pump here. This is more, uh, you know, Elliot's traditional content. Maybe is is the the coin trading, uh, Doge point pumping, Doge coin pumping into Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter. Um, so it's just fascinating to see these these different things that can kind of pop up, and we haven't even talked about on this show, I don't think, tokens that are associated with like NFT ecosystems, whether it's ApeCoin, whether it's uh, you know like some of the like people are speculating that there could be an ArtBlocks token. I don't know, like Elliot, what do you think about coins associated with like an NFT ecosystem, whether it's ApeCoin or something else? Like Gutter Cat Gang, for example, was going to be putting out Gang Token. But they ended up uh, you know, postponing that given the SEC investigation into Apecoin.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I I heard from a friend that uh, Super Farm DAO token was the top of Lunar Crush yesterday, and that's an NFT ecosystem token, <laughs> um, and that it's that it's counting down to a to a massive relaunch. Um, so, the, my my feeling is that you know we are in the midst of a very very long drawn out you know regulatory scrutiny cycle. I tweeted this in I think uh, February or March. It was right after the Lunar Crash. Um, And I tweeted that, uh, that there would be this massive amount of regulatory scrutiny that comes because there was actually a lot of, you know, For lack of a better term, fuckery over the last few months with crypto stuff that never happened really before. So you had centralized exchange hacks. That was like the biggest problem through twenty, like up to twenty seventeen, and then from twenty eighteen onward with Binance and Coinbase being kind of the leaders, you you ended up not really getting this same level of exchange hacks. We started getting bridge hacks in the cross chain world. Um, that's different, right? Because you weren't actually losing individual funds. Projects were getting hit with with sort of custodial, you know, cross-chain, you know, sums of money. But it wasn't, you know, people would lose money because those individual projects would get hacked and they dump. But before then, it was exchange hacks, where all of a sudden you'd log on and the exchange would go, oops, we actually don't have any money. And so that was like the the Celsius of the last cycle or the Luna of the last cycle. Luna is a little different, right? Because that was like, that to me was just like in uh like a super tail risk uh you know thing. Luna just got too big. It should never have gotten that big. Um, but the reality is that the model was flawed. Um, But you have these like go to zero models where like one day you're thinking you're sitting in something fairly stable and then the next day it's all gone. Um, We those types of scenarios where people think they're in something that's non-volatile and then it goes to zero are really some of the biggest issues that I see with the current uh, crypto ecosystem that will attract regulation. Now, what will also be the thing that people are shocked, but my prediction is that they'll come to understand is that this regulation stuff will move very slowly and that laws will get constantly challenged and appealed, and that my belief is that free speech, freedom of transactions, and overall the allure of the most profitable industry that will ever exist uh, will win out, and that you have this revolving door between crypto policymakers and crypto companies. And so you have this something like two or 300 individuals have gone from the SEC to uh, crypto companies over the last few years. So there's a game here that's being played where policymakers keep the company's guessing just enough that they can get hired as experts and get, you know, multi-million dollar salaries as soon as they retire. And so there's this, and that's exactly what happens on Wall Street, right? And so um, there's a bit of a game going on here, but in the end, you know, I trust the dollar to win out, uh, not the actual fiat dollar, but I trust trust financial incentives to win out. And so um, to me, regulation is bullish. Long-term regulation will favor uh, crypto and other Things staying in the tax bracket of the United States and not being driven offshore, and I believe that you know it'll all resolve itself to, to in a good way. Um, but right now is that scary part where people don't know, you know, and certain things should be regulated. Like if I'm putting my money in something that's supposed to be a stable, as you know, non-risky coin, like a stable coin, I should you know have the the understanding that it can't go to zero overnight, or that should be clearly, you know, that should made be made clear. Um, and so those are certain things that like normal people, um, I think it's fair to have those kinds of, uh, you know, disclosures. So stable coins will definitely get regulated like crazy, but other things, um, you know, I think should stay pretty open. Um, and I think we'll see regulation uh, unlock a ton of money in this space, an absolute, you know, metric ton of money. And so, um, I think it's that funny transition. It's the bearish transition period where there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity opening up for people who understand, um, how these cycles work.
0: A thousand percent. And I think everyone can agree like things like stable coins and whatnot should be regulated. I think a lot of crypto folks are scared of the term regulation, I think because they assume that it's going to have some sort of negative impact in their potential upside. Maybe Um, there's also other people that aren't interested in paying taxes and viewed uh, the crypto ecosystem as a way to kind of sidestep taxes and obviously regulation and know your customer and AML laws are all going to put a wrench in that. You You brought up stable Coins. We've talked about Ethereum on this show. We've talked about you know Solana. We've talked about Bitcoin and the differences. Do you think the fact that USDC is an ERC token, so in other words, USDC is like built on Ethereum? Do you feel that that is like a bedrock kind of um, you know factor for Ethereum in terms of adoption? Like, I don't think that's something that we've talked about on this show, but it popped into my head since you brought up stable coins. Is that like a big deal, or is it kind of not that relevant?
1: it is the biggest of all big deals, period, right? The fact that dollarization is happening globally on Ethereum. People need to wrap their head around this. If I'm living in, you know, insert the country where my currency is rapidly hyperinflating to zero year over year, there are many examples of this. I'm not going to name any and pick on any of these countries, but there are many countries, every country around the world has a shit currency compared to the US dollar. Everyone on earth wants dollars and they want to save in dollars and they can now do that through us dollar stable coins usd tether and usdc and there was a stat about three years ago still back when tether was shrouded in you know you know controversy now apparently they have the cash reserves you know quote i, I haven't verified them with my own eyes but supposedly they have some like reliable audit that they've created, um, where they can actually show they have the cash reserves, you know, as of like days ago, but you know, tether was always considered, you know, not really backed quote unquote, but no one cared because it worked. And because everyone was desperate for dollars instead of whatever they have. Um, the fact that this is all happening on Ethereum is one of the biggest bull cases for Ethereum. There are other crypto, there are other layers like BUSD, um, and stuff like that, but stable coins, stable us dollar coins is one of the biggest use cases for, or cryptocurrency because people are using it like a bank. And, and that is huge. It's, it's one of the biggest bull cases and why Ethereum was the home of DeFi.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Nick is kind of the person that Really opened my mind up to the idea of like holding stable coins and then also actually having them on an exchange, which I know we've talked about before, Elliot, and you're not really a proponent of, but lending them to an exchange uh, or having an exchange lend them out and earning yield that way obviously not something that you want to do with all your stable coins, uh, but something that can provide returns, especially in a bear market. Hard to outperform those returns uh, sometimes unless you're incredibly active as a trader. Reminder, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you want to retweet the tweet at the top. It's very helpful. The one, not the Elon Doge one, but the one with the space in it to get this space in front of as many listeners as possible on Twitter. Nick, you just unmuted. What's going on? I was just
2: going to say we're underperforming inflation at this rate with our stablecoin uh, y- yielding. So uh, as nice as it is, I got an update from Gemini saying they dropped the rate uh, further on some some subset of their uh, stablecoin. But yeah, that's a, an interesting aspect. The, outside of that, Um, first, Elliot, if you're going to call out countries, you got to name names, man. Like (laughs) we, we know that they're listening. We know that they're listening. Yo, Yo, Venezuela. Say it to my face. (laughs) Venezuela. I see you out there, Venezuela. We're coming for you. The web three show (laughs) is is coming after you. Don't worry. Yo, Turkish Uh,
1: lira cashed me outside.
2: (laughs) Yo, Turkey, come send your army this way. Web three show. Is coming for you but we're decentralized so you can't hold us down
0: yeah um, while you're at it send over some braised lamb all right go ahead Nick go ahead Nick.
2: uh Iran yo where are <laughs> you at no uh so anyways um I, yeah I, I I agree and that's that transition is insane do do we do, does anybody have like the actual stat on the current number of uh stable coins in supply usD based uh stable coins I don't have the number but it's some like absurd amount of the amount of like USB yeah, being yeah. issued every day.
1: Yeah, it's really easy. Go to go to your neighborly friendly Coin Gecko. Do you guys use like coin tracking sites? I mean, my home base since I've been in crypto has been Coin Market Cap, and then Coin Gecko. Once Coin Gecko was outperforming coin. in twenty twenty, just go to the Market Cap for for everyone in the NFT space that doesn't know how to do this. Go to Coin As you can see, the third the third column, the the second to the right column is called MKT Cap Market Cap. That means the total amount of money in circulation uh the cost of the coins don't really matter you want to look at that big number and if you go to tether you'll see that there's 69 billion go ahead nick you can laugh and uh and then for usdc there's 43.3 billion so you yeah. combine those two numbers and and you have about a hundred change billion 105 billion or something like that um and uh and that's really the total i guess busd is is pretty noteworthy and reliable now 20 or er, yeah billion. And so now you have about 100, let's just call it 125 billion, uh, maybe a little more than that, uh, of reliable sort of like people, you know, do trust and will use these uh, uh, pretty reliably stable coins. That's a lot of dough.
2: Yeah, it definitely is. Although I'm actually looking, the USDC market cap dropped from 55 billion all the way down to 43 billion uh, since June, so that actually has been uh, decreasing slash uh, borderline imploding. I uh, I don't know if that's a shift of people moving out of crypto. Um, I, it is, I might, yeah, it is,
1: yeah, it is. Um, it, well, it, it could. It's one of two things. But when you see the market cap go down, what that usually means is that people are redeeming. And so there was a lot of fud around stable stablecoins uh, back when uh, Luna collapsed, and so everyone was like for the first time really since the bull run, you know, you have like these sobriety goggles when everyone had like their yield, their drunken, you know, beer goggles for yield on. They were like, oh, 20% on this stable coin. Well, that makes it better. Now everyone goes, wait, 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 wait. What, what is my, what's in my stable coin? What is someone mixing in my drink here? And, uh, and you, you go, okay, well, USD coin is the safest. Um, But then people were radically, you know, very aggressively exiting tether Um, Tether started uh, processing redemptions, uh, meaning that you could actually get U.S. dollars sent to your bank account by sending, uh, you know, Tether, Tether Tether.2, that's the company uh, that actually runs the Tether uh, stablecoin, and then Circle, which runs USD uh, coin. And, um, and you can actually uh, go to circle dot whatever, and you can send in, you know, sign up, get your bank account, uh, seed, and they, you can send them USDC and they wire you cash. And so that's what was happening was people were redeeming stable coins. One, it was to get out of crypto because there was quite a bit of fear. Um, two, it was also to probably test the waters. And people were seeing like, hey, can we mass like claim this? If there's a stress test, can Circle actually process this and get us out? Because that was the problem with Luna, was people were trying to get out of um, uh, the USDT or UST, the US uh, stable coin that was giving the yield, but the only way they could do that because there was not a redemption mechanism was to convert back to Terra, or Luna, sorry, uh, same, same, but they wanted to convert back to Luna, which was the redemption mechanism that... Was this whole thing was built on and it worked like a charm until the UST market cap became so big that it couldn't get processed back. And um, I don't know, it's not worth rehashing, but the point is that sent a, a death spiral down to zero once UST broke the peg because it became a, um, an increasing weight and sort of infinite inflation problem. Um, but if there was an escape valve in escape hatch where you could have processed the UST into US dollars, that would have been fine. But the problem is Luna was never backed. And so the whole problem here is there is a death spiral once people lose faith in a stable coin. If there's no escape valve, people were starting to lose faith in tether. People were actually trying to create tether FUD by forcefully trading down tether against uh against other assets so that tether was trading at like 96 95 cents at one point in this whole fud spiral and that's when you saw to me uh, that was probably the time i i actually had chills going down my body because if tether collapses and and this is this is a quote that i think you guys should all, you should all have in your head if tether collapses we are fucked so super fucked. <laughs> like, like it is not a a good thing. This is a really bad thing. And there is so much liquidity and security and faith being built up in the Tether ecosystem, whether it should be or shouldn't be. That is what's going on. And so when I saw Tether trading down to ninety five cents, I was pacing, freaking out, and thank God the Tether organization jumped in and processed something like two or. $5 billion in redemptions within like a day or a week, they really came in and were like, nope, you can redeem it for cash. No, no need to dump it on the market. And, uh, and that's what you needed. And, and they calmed down the FUD and, and so everything went back to normal. But that was probably the scariest moment of this whole bear market for me.
2: Yeah. It's gone from 83 billion market cap down to 65 billion. So you had 20 billion in redemptions, but it's only gone up since then. Uh, and it, and that, uh, moment seemed like it actually had a, uh, Positive impact on the the faith in tether. I always thought it was interesting because all I had remembered was um, around twenty seventeen, thinking like, "What the hell is this thing? Like, is it is this actually legit? Like the, this? Uh, like, how is somebody doing this?" And you're telling me they're doing this with a basket? Like they're not doing this with a um, uh, with cash? And that was the thing where I was like, "Okay, that seems." Wildly complicated. If you actually go back to uh, 2017, uh, April, um, it hit a low of 91 cents, Tether did, um, which is uh, pretty nuts. Um, But that was for an incredibly short period of time uh, before it made its way back up. But it took a couple of weeks for that to um, uh, go down. Outside of that, it's been stable. I thought it was interesting when I saw like SBF and some of these other, like a lot of the traders, they moved their positions in, in, uh, in large scales between crypto and, uh, and Tether. And I, I thought it was crazy to see that that was preferred over USDC. Um, but here we are. Regardless, uh, I'm, not, I'm not holding, I, I don't put anything in Tether. I feel like it's mostly used uh, like, uh, like we were saying, if if people are leaving crypto, then that number is going to go down. Uh, and I don't know if there's any if the if the number the market cap of Tether is indicative of anything else. Like, do you think most consumers are buying uh, Tether, or are they buying like USDC in, in other countries? And is there any information on that,
0: Elliot? Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I'm actually not sure.
1: I mean, that's that's something definitely to look into for sure. Um, but you know, obviously we will see I guess the larger point for me is that we will see uh some wave of reg- regulation here around stable coins. And to me, that is probably the most likely uh sort of where, where it'll kind of end. I don't think DeFi is close to getting regulated. It's just too complex and regulators know enough to know that they don't know how to do it right. And so there's a, there's going to be uh, a kick the can approach, I think, on that where they just go and decide, okay, instead of making uh, you know. You know, bright line rules that everyone can follow and know they're doing the right thing. So we get a ton of innovation, investment, and development. What they're going to get is okay. Let's go chop off the head of the biggest uh, <laughs> protocol we can, um, like we've seen with Ripple, like we've seen with other protocols, um, and uh, and then it'll be sort of like this. You know, take one person out in the town square and you know flog them so that you know the rest of the people feel you know run around scared, walking on eggshells. Um, but then there's no rule making, um, and so I think I think it'll probably be another cycle before we get like real reliable, um, regulatory framework. Um, but that will be really the bat signal to bring in an absolute metric ton of innovation and capital. So from that perspective, we're super, super early and it, it's really a blessing, uh, for anyone in this bear market to be able to be a part of this, because I think like we're still, pro- you know, that's the painful part is we're still probably, um, you know, 36, you know, uh, 12, 24, maybe even 36 months away from, mainstream mainstream uh type product adoption and then with that mainstream mainstream product adoption it will force regulators to start having these serious conversations and figure out what the rules are and then that cycle will then take a while and then we'll get sort of like you know the next era which will people you know maybe like you could liken this to like the web two era where for the first time people actually use the internet besides, you know, weirdos and nerds, um, and people that were scared to put their credit cards into Amazon. Right. And, and web one wasn't really that used. It was mostly, you know, it was mostly niche and, um, you know, people looking up boobs on, you know, Google or, you know, something like that. And then it wasn't whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Flashback to nine-year-old me. Um, but the, uh, but the, uh, The point is, um, web two brought real use cases where people needed internet on them all the time. There was Facebook, there was eventually Instagram, Uber, um, there was all these things you could do that made your quality of life. So, um, you know, incredibly improved from web one or from non-web that it was, you know, undeniable. Whereas web one itself was still considered niche and it was hard to see the, you know, the, like a lot of people could go on their lives, ignoring it and still, you know, have plenty good dinner conversations, et cetera. Whereas web two made it like you're you're super weird if you're not participating.
0: Exactly, and you know what you said about regulation with stable coins. If you ask, you know Kevin O'Leary, Mister Wonderful, I've watched a bunch of interviews with him. He said that it's it's without a doubt, uh, stable coins will be the first kind of sector of crypto to face regulation because they're just flat out the easiest to regulate. Is like, is the stable coin backed one to one with U.S. dollars? Yes, it is. Okay, cool, sounds good. So that'll be the first area, and I think that that regulation will probably lead to a decrease in the amount of yield that you can receive for lending your stable coins, but ultimately will lead to, you know, more good regulation in the space. Um, I think you'll see instruments develop that kind of find a, uh, t- that will disrupt traditional uh, finance a little bit, like kind of more cutting out the middlemen. For example, you know, putting up assets as collateral and getting a loan will be done in a much more automated way and won't have as much paperwork and won't have um, you know again as many fees, as many middlemen. If you ever refinanced a house or you know taking out any kind of big time loan, you know that you go into like a lawyer's office and you sign a bunch of paperwork that you don't have time to read. You you know you sign like twenty five. 35 sheets in like a big thick packet no one has time to read that right so it's like just this weird system whereas if we get that regulation we might have some automated solutions you know maybe last uh kind of thing that we could talk about is on the nft side we discussed Elliot you know some of the sentiment that board API club holders have been um, you know displaying towards board API club ecosystem and I think a lot of people are getting a little impatient with the silence, especially after the delays with ApeCoin staking, uh, especially after you know the assumed hundred thousand additional other deeds didn't drop like they were scheduled to drop. In- in August, and now uh, you know it's questionable whether they're going to drop it all. I think that they're just looking for more communication. You're a board API club holder. Um, obviously, you have a much more patient lens and a very experienced lens. Are you concerned at all about the board API club ecosystem, or do you think that this is a big nothing burger?
1: Uh, I'm not concerned at all. I think people just need to understand the nature of a market cycle and ask themselves where the where the uh, huge dollar valuations for this ecosystem came from. And it came from board apes defining emblematically the literally the mascot of this modern NFT bull run. And what's going to happen to the mascot of the modern NFT bull run when the bull run ends is the the mascot is going to be down bad because that's just how it goes. And so having been through these cycles, I'll say that there's probably very few assets as safe, quote unquote, meaning that one day they'll return at least back to their prior pricing, you know, relatively or close to, if not far higher Um, than a board ape again. That's a hugely risky assumption, but that's sort of my assessment of it is that compared to yoga, everything else looks more risky. Um, you know, with the exception of maybe punks or some other types of you know very very established assets like a Fidenza or other stuff like that. Again, these are all just my opinions. I could be super wrong. Remember, um, I'm 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 a 32 year old that wears Sailor Moon t shirts. So you know, don't take your financial information from me at all. Um, but the reality for me is that Yuga's performance is expected, and they pretty much released the biggest mint of all time created with a new coin, right, valued in USD value against a new coin that had just hit the market with a ton of hype and lack of information around it. So ApeCoin got dropped in in a very typical way, not typical, right, For uh, because there's never been an ecosystem like Yuga, but it was a new coin that had a ton of hype there was a new product, the metaverse, around the biggest NFT ever, around the biggest fundraising NFTs ever, around the fastest growing uh, company in the history of the world, Yuga Labs, uh, getting valued at $4 billion within you know 10 months or whatever of their creation. None of these things had ever had a comparable. So now you're looking at ApeCoin, which got dropped with all the hype I've ever seen any coin drop. And in the first few weeks of any coin's life, you get the cycle. You get this FOMO of, of the, the masses trying to get their hands on it. And, um, and then you had this use case for it right off the bat, which is the other deeds meant. And so you have kind of like respectfully a totally fake, very hard to value, um, dollar amount that people were minting these other deeds for. They weren't minting with hard-earned Ethereum, those those physically backed Ethereum's um, that people slap on the on the table after a hard day's work. No, these were these sort of new ape coins that got dropped into the market on you know, the back of massive hype. And uh, and yeah, all I can say is that uh, it's totally expected what happened with other side because for me as a as a person who owns and runs a video game studio. I know that there ain't no way they're building an MMORPG or a massive you know, metaverse uh, product with any type of quality within the space of three months, two months. Like that's just, that is not realistic, right? So what they've shown to me, um, I was already impressed that they were able to show anything at this point. Um, and I think if people have an understanding of where they're going, they'll understand that this is a multi-year journey and that, yeah, those prices are probably not going to return for a very long time. And I would have been super pissed if they dropped another 100,000, um, items on the market, because that would have been absolutely unsupported by the, by the market. And that would have absolutely put us underwater. A 200,000 item collection would have never, ever, ever gotten back to the price that they would have wanted. And, um, and so, yeah, so I think that them, having a lack of communication is on brand for them because it's worked for them. Uh, they don't owe anyone anything. Uh, they made their holders incredibly wealthy and, um, and it's easy to criticize, right? It's easy to say what should be or what would be if they had done XYZ from the peanut gallery. But the reality is that they have the biggest weight of the world on their shoulders, um, and they also have the the biggest amount of capital of almost any company uh, in the space in history. So they will definitely continue to push. Um, it's a multi year journey, and the assets will probably be underwater for quite quite a long time. Um, but if you understand the dynamics as to how the other deed sale reached that number, reached that valuation of. 500 600 million dollars or whatever it actually came in at um you also understand that like a lot of that money was found money like i didn't buy those ape coins that i minted my other deeds with i had them airdropped to me um as part of because i'd been such a you know a devout yuga holder and um And that's why I was able to mint so many other deeds. And yes, I did lose a lot of money on those other deeds. And yes, I will be tax loss harvesting because I realized that ApeCoin drop was a taxable event. And so now me selling other deeds underwater will offset those taxes. If anyone else is in the same boat, listen, you're going to want to offset those short-term capital gains uh, with some short-term capital losses um, by harvesting your your tax losses uh, with other deeds at the end of the year. Uh, but besides that, um, I will be rebuying those other deeds, um, at least a chunk of them, and I'll be holding them because I want to see what happens. I just don't want to pay taxes on on that ape coin because I, I did lose on the other deeds uh, swap. Uh, but I'm okay with it. I, I won big on my overall Yuga play, and I understand where they're going. They're not going to change their their communication pattern to be like Frank Degod's, God's where they're doing everything, you know, um, you know, so, you know, almost like painstakingly in public, that's not been their style ever. And I don't think it's fair to expect that.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I'm not a CPA, but to point out one little uh, nugget that Elliot just brought up there, you can always, you know, sell an asset for a loss and then buy a different asset in the same collection to reset your cost basis. Like if you want to have exposure to other deeds, but you're way underwater on other deeds, you can do that. Again, I'm not a CPA. I'm sure Nick will have a a remark on that right now.
2: I I was just going to say what you can also do is you can sell it to your buddy. Uh, for (laughs) 0.0001, and then they sell it back to you, and then you're good to go. Um, I'm just kidding. That's called tax fraud, in case you're wondering (laughs) about that one. So um, probably don't do that.
1: Actually, to be very clear, there are no rules on tax loss harvesting right now or on... I believe that there was a wash trading rule that they were supposed to bring but i got formal guidance from my accountants um and i'm not an accountant or a certified tax expert but i did get guidance from my accountants that there was not an issue with selling and then rebuying uh quickly uh though just to be you know safe i don't think there's any real big issue with the other deeds market moving dramatically in 30 days if you wait 30 days after you sell the assets you can rebuy them and uh and then you're clear of securities regulations as well Uh, but i I do not believe based on uh, the tax guidance I've received that there is a rule against uh, selling and rebuying NFTs for tax loss harvesting as of now.
2: You, uh, yes, that I, I'm. I've heard the same thing, but there is a difference between doing that with your friend and doing that into the market, right? I,
1: I, I don't, I don't understand why there would be right if you, if you, if you sell and then rebuy. I think the main point is that there's not a regulated rule about it yet, and there will be probably in the future, but I thought that rule was going to pass. Supposedly, it didn't pass. Maybe we can get an accountant up here or a tax experts to, uh, to describe it, but you want to lock – like locking in the losses is locking in the losses.
2: Okay, so PO, I'd like to sell you my punk no, for I, one penny. I
0: mean, I am uh, on the. Well, same I think page. it's got to be
1: defensible, right? It, it, it's it, it's got to be defensible oh, in, in market okay. values, right? I don't think you can just put like a uh, if you sell things for a penny, right? Then that's obviously an outlier, and that could be considered um, taking advantage. But if you sell at market values, I think okay. that that's yeah. I, I I would I would assume that there's other laws that you would come into contact with, but there's nothing stopping you from just to be clear. The law is that there's nothing stopping you from selling and then quickly rebuying. Um, so that's really the big thing is in the stock market, there's what's called a wash trading rule, where if you sell and then rebuy, you don't get the tax benefit unless you wait, I believe 30 days. Um, that rule was supposed to come into the crypto world, but then they stopped it and they said, actually, or or the rule just didn't pass. As far as I understand, that's just my understanding as a 32 year old Sailor Moon t-shirt wearer.
0: Yeah, and that's my understanding identically as well. That wash rule is like if I sell Tesla stock for a loss, I can't just immediately buy it I buy it back to reset my cost basis. I have to wait 30 days. So look, we just talked a lot about Board API Club, Yuga Labs ecosystem. I loved Elliot's take. Something that me and Nick talk about is the difference between, you know, assets that require you know, any sort of operational, um, you know, uh, like driving forward from an operational perspective. In other words, the kind of startup side of the NFT space versus the pure play art and collectible side. I think a lot of people agree that a CryptoPunk, for example, goes into the pure play art or collectible side, whereas at least as it stands right now, you know, for something like Other Deed, for example, they're building something. There's actually something that's going to be delivered. It's a different story, right? Um, Board API Club, I think it's realistic that eventually it crosses over into pure play collectible. But I'm curious, Elliot, because Yuga Labs acquired... Crypto punks, do you feel that now there is more risk in having a crypto punk uh, versus before? Because I think before you could have made an argument that Larva Labs, you know, they just made it, it's historically relevant, blah, blah, blah. But now it's been acquired by this startup that has really grand ambitions. Let's just say, hypothetically, and I don't think that this is what's going to happen, but let's just say, hypothetically, that uh, other deed, for example, is a bi- or other side is a big, big failure. It's just a massive failure. It doesn't work. It's a dumpster fire. Other deed goes to near zero. Does that adversely impact CryptoPunks now because Yuga Labs owns them, or does it not matter? There's no risk. It doesn't matter, even though Yuga Labs owns them.
1: Yeah, my take is that punks are in their own category of collectible. Um, they're historical. They're also the first sort of PFP iteration. Uh, and to me, the uh, the nature of – so just so you know how securities law work is that they're a, they're a snapshot in time, right? So at the time of the release of the CryptoPunk collection as a free claim, nobody can argue that those were purchased with the intention of – uh, collective profits, or that the company was going to then, you know, do work on the behalf of of you know a, a small group of individuals, or, or whatever the way the Howey test is written, which is being challenged till the cows come home. And clearly, uh, based on the sort of rumblings in the government, it seems like the CFTC is kind of taking the lead on uh, crypto regulation as a whole, and that NFTs are certainly the farthest up the tree uh, compared to things like DeFi. So I think we won't see clarity on like what NFTs. And how they're re- how they're regulated, rather, until probably, you know, I'm guessing three years from now is it seems about right. Now, that said, I do think that uh, crypto punks are, you know, actually, to me, something that I'm really looking at um, during this bear market. I'd like lo- I'd love to scoop up some punks on the dip uh, because I think that they are just, you know, they're they are they're quite like a Bitcoin type asset in my mind. I know it's a stupid comparison, but they're just like this. Nothing's tethered to them. You don't expect anything from them. The they're, they're kind of just held, um, for super long term. Um, and I know there's some FUD around, you know, some wallets holding, you know, hundreds of them or whatever. To me, that's not, it's not the biggest issue. There's, there's, Wallets it's in Bitcoin land that could tank the whole market too. So um, that's not really the point. Uh, for me, I believe that, you know, both punks and apes have have a bright future. I'd like to buy some of them on the dips. And uh, and as far as collectibles uh, that define the NFT space, which if you look, you know, 20, 30 years out, you know, it's gonna be hard to really compare uh, other collectibles to these, even if they fail dramatically, you know, look at like the Kevin from the Pixelmon um, sort of collection and how people like, there's like a, a, almost like a a badge of, of honor with, with how bad things are sometimes. So if board apes somehow do f- figure out how to fail bigly, then I think they could even go up in value or rate retain value in some sort of like historic way. Um, That would be like the, uh, the meme counterpoint. All right, to you, Nick, let me hear, let me hear yeah, Nick.
2: Well, short term, I think if Yugo Labs collapses, like if, if they really went to zero, that would be uh, bad for the entire market as a whole, uh, only in the sense that you see uh, just destruction of capital. And I think that would force the prices holistically in this space just down, at least on a temporary basis. I also agree, you know, as uh, someone who got, uh, well, I have one CryptoPunk, but I think like uh, that's definitely one that I, I've been uh, eyeing for a long period of time. I'd even consider buying a second. I spent a lot of attention or spent a lot of time paying attention uh, to the price action. And, wh- and one thing that I've been watching in particular is sort of the uh, selling up of some of these uh, individual pieces uh, or some of these punks. If you look at the uh, sales history recently, it's been like a very uh, narrow uh, subset of punks. Where like one punk, for example, for whatever reason, sold like uh, three times in a row on just like an incremental amount. I'm sure there was some conversation or I'll see it at the same price, which means like, hey, I didn't mean to sell it at that price. That was accidental um, sort of situation that that I have seen go on. But I have seen people like buy, hold it for a couple of weeks and then sell it for like, you know, a $15,000 gain. That's nothing to like sneeze at. And, and in this market, it's actually an incredible place to be operating, uh, is that like there, there are opportunities that exist in this market to, you know, uh, uh, grab a few ETH here and there. And for any, uh, anybody like in, in any world, I feel like making a few thousand dollars is nothing to sneeze at, especially when you're uh, flipping JPEGs. Um, but yeah, it's going to have a negative impact if, uh, Yuga goes down. I don't think that CryptoPunks in particular um, are at risk as a result of the Yuga La- uh, of Yuga Labs owning them. I think that they they're just index exposure at this point to the NFT space. One hundred percent. Let's be really clear.
1: The base I've I've hired so I've my legal bills to security lawyers over the last three years have been astronomical. And uh, that's probably the most up only chart I've ever seen in my life. And based on what I, I I might as well have a degree at this point though. I don't, I really don't, I'm not qualified to say this. um, Absolutely not. Crypto punks have no, no effing exposure that they didn't have before just because they got acquired. That doesn't make any sense. Um, And when I say that I'm interested in this, as everybody knows, I believe that we have yet another, like the realities of what's going on with the macro, are going to set in here after the midterms. We know we're in a, like a political spot, like a political cycle right now, where you have you know, the Fed's a political organization and every piece of pressure from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to the Fed to everything, by the way, the Biden administration just came out and said they need to buy 200 million barrels of oil to restock the SPR. And, uh, and they said they wanted to buy them at like 60 or 80 bucks, which is not a realistic price given the global uh, sort of market price on oil. But anyway, so the, the realities are going to set in here in sort of January. Um, and a lot of the macro experts I'm looking at are saying that they believe that we'll see an investment bottom here sometime in 2023 now at that time is when all start wanting to look at everything including jpegs including uh, crypto including stocks really not probably not real estate yet um, but you'll want to start looking at building your portfolio now for people who are building a portfolio that's like a five figure portfolio well a cryptopunk or a bored ape should not be in it just straight up it should not be in it right um now maybe an other deed which is a much more accessible um you know a bet on the yuga ecosystem maybe that could be in it um but there is a world where bored apes succeed dramatically and other deeds um kind of flail because it just the other side metaverse doesn't get adopted but the bored ape community is still one that everyone coming into nfts wants to target wants to cater to and the value of holding that still becomes incredibly valuable right they're they're not necessarily intertwined forever um and so i think there's some really interesting dynamics at play um But, you know, as you guys well know, I'm more interested in the product layers that carry this stuff to the mainstream because that's really what's been missing. Um, And we've seen it with Reddit. In, in, in a sort of very baby format um, and we'll see it soon but uh, we'll start to see like these real sustainable durable product ecosystems uh, grow and, and get launched and they'll get launched with no hype here in the bear market. It's going to be super exciting to see. Um, so I, I don't know just to be clear I'm not buying Art Gobblers also at this price um, <laughs> but, uh, but can I actually just before we close out here can somebody show me Art Gobblers because I've not actually heard it, it seems like it's a pretty unique project and that people are kind of like oh there's a lot Lot going, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that they did. I'm not saying to buy it. I don't really know anything about it. Um, but we never talked about what it is before we threw it under the bus and beat it up for being expensive.
2: Uh, I think a lot of people missed that. I don't know the whole tokenomics. I was uh, texting this with PO this morning that I, that I thought it would be useful to get someone that has like the the full uh, expanse of what's going on there. Um, but it seemed like uh, artists could actually even contribute some artwork to some of the the pages it almost seemed like hilariously uh derivative of murat pak with their pages that could be burned for these um individual characters but i don't know pio do you you know all the tokenomics of this one (laughs)
0: I don't know all the tokenomics. Uh, we definitely need to get, like, probably a report that has all the tokenomics. However, um, what I know is so, one of the founders of, or excuse me, the co creators of Rick and Morty, Justin Royland, who does have NFT experience from before, is part of the team. They're calling it an experiment by Justin Royland. And then, of course, Paradigm, who we talked about earlier. Uh, the things that I like about it are that it does seem to be innovative. Uh, from a technology perspective, it's actually similar to QQL uh, in the sense that you can create art and your gobbler can gobble up the art, right? Just like how on QQL you, which is the Tyler Hobbs generative art, uh, you can call it an experiment, but what it is is like the next, the next project so to speak, the next collection that Tyler Hobbs has put out after Fidenza. Fidenza, of course, being the most notable art block, the highest floor art block, the most popular one, blah, blah, blah. A staple of Generative art. And with QQL, you get this mint pass and you can generate a QQL output, which is with Tyler Hobbs's specific algorithm. And uh, for example, a talented artist like Grant Yun or X Copy, and X Copy I know actually owns several QQLs. I don't know if Grant Yun does, but X Copy does own several QQLs. They can then generate art themselves and mint it in the QQL collection and everybody would know that it is an X-Copy QQL or it's a Grant Young QQL. It seems that the same thing is possible with uh, this one, with art gobblers. Um, yeah, the- it, it's similar. The distinction
2: is is it seems like staking your gobbler gets you goo. The goo can be used to uh, get the art or to, quote, gobble art, and that art ends up on the actual uh, gobbler character. And... Um, uh, additionally, you can sacrifice your gobbler to summon a legendary gobbler, but it requires, uh, w- which it, it, some people were speculating, that's why the person ended up buying all of them. But anyway, sorry, uh, d- didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, yeah, it, it's similar in its dynamics with a slight adjustment, and it's being uh, uh, a, a little more creative in the sense that you have this like cartoonist who's like made, made these characters uh, to make it more fun.
0: Sure, and so real quick, The gobblers produce goo. So I I think of that as like a token. The more goo you hold, the faster it produces. So that's like an incentive to, I'm assuming, stake more of the token. Um, I have questions about the supply of gobblers. It sounds like there's a deflationary mechanism, which Nick just talked about. I have questions about the supply of the token, supply of gobblers. The other thing is that it's been made clear that there will not be like ongoing management of this. This was like a one-shot, you know, all inclusive project, so to speak. And that does, in general, scare me in the NFT space. The big thing is, it seems like nobody wants to be married to anything in the NFT space for a long time. You can count on two hands, you know, who's married to things in the NFT space. And I think two of those fingers are on stage right now between me and Nick and then Elliot, uh, you know, Elliot with imposters and us with the portal in our ecosystem. So there's two out of the 10 fingers right there. Um, and Justin Roiland, I do perceive. It as him saying, "I'm doing another NFT thing." I I don't think he made a lot of money on the primary sale of this thing, whereas he made millions off the primary sales on the projects that he dropped on Nifty Gateway over the past two years—literal millions. And there was no, there's no follow-up on those, right? That that, those are just pieces of art; they're digital sketches, basically. Um, So he's being clear: I'm not doing anything for this. I'm not married to this thing. You guys can figure it out. And so it's insanely difficult to keep attention in the NFT space. And I'm not saying that from here, number can't go up. Maybe it can. Maybe the staking mechanic with the goo and the deflationary mechanic for the legendaries, maybe that causes like a run, a creeps-like run. If you guys remember creeps from, I guess it was earlier this year, either earlier this year or late last year, that's like basically best case scenario that I could see. And maybe you see a run on it. The supply is pretty low right now. But long, long term, I think number does eventually go down um, the market favors something like this much more than just a sketch by Justin Royland so in that way I think that this was uh, a strong effort uh, but I won't be participating at these prices I would much sooner just get a Chromey squiggle uh, you know to have the OG art block and a bet on generative art since we're seeing a pump on the generative art side of the market more so uh, the general, art side of the market. So that's my long response to you, Elliot. Yeah, I like it. I
1: like it. At least there was some sort of like rationale there. I, I think the biggest thing is that, um, overall, you know, the, the projects that can just, uh, mint and, you know, GTFO and expect the price to go up are very, uh, are very, there's like been three of them, right? There's like, uh, Fidenza, there's Chromie Squiggles, there's, uh, CryptoPunks, um, and that was like about it. All the other projects seem to have like really, you know, uh, smart marketing, great teams and sort of a, an ongoing, um, you know, community building effort. Obviously, that was, you know, a very short summary. I'm sure there are others, you know. Um, but I'm really curious just to wrap this up, you know, Twitter is becoming, you know, just to shift topics here, Twitter's becoming a really interesting platform uh, because of what Elon's doing. Now, nobody knows what he's doing. Um, and quite a few people hate what he does and what he's doing. He does seem to have a mix of genius and like careless going on, uh, with the way he goes through the world, or maybe there's a master plan. Um, but I'm curious if people want to comment in the sort of like the comments on the bottom right, uh, there's like a a purple button down there. You can comment and sort of let us know, like, what do you think is the direction? Cause all of this really interesting stuff has come out over the last sort of week or so. Because of the lawsuit that he went through with Twitter, all of these text messages and personal communications and other stuff that was really not meant to be public has just come out about like his plans for Twitter, text with Sam Bankman-Fried, text with uh, Jack Dorsey, text with um, uh, uh, CZ, Changpeng Zhao, Zhao and, um, and stuff like that probably he never wanted to reveal until it was a little further down the line. But it seems to be a combination of him resurrecting Vine, which is super exciting exciting um because that will mean that video might become a super central part of the Twitter experience resurrecting x.com which if you guys don't know the history of this Elon's first company was called X.com and it merged with PayPal with Peter Thiel and they took PayPal as the name because it was a better brand. But X.com was Elon Musk's first brand in, in like the internet world. I I don't know if it was first first, but that was like the payments company that, he eventually, be, that eventually became PayPal and became that historic exit. Um, which by the way, I put up this chart of all the PayPal executives and all the stuff they've done on my Twitter a while back. It's mind blowing. Anyway, um, so X.com... Vine um and he seems to be very fixated on bringing cryptocurrencies into the app obviously obviously he's joked about doge becoming the payment rail of the modern society but you know you you have to wonder is he serious you know he tweeted that doge we have it pinned at the top here this tweet he tweeted that doge right right up at the top you got to wonder like is this about to become sort of the nexus of social media potentially c- taking a shot at like TikTok by resurrecting Vine which everyone knows that killing Vine was the dumbest thing that Twitter ever did. They should have kept Vine going. And um, and there probably would have never been a TikTok. Um, but resurrecting Vine, bringing in crypto, re- revitalizing this x.com thing, we all know that he said Twitter is the first step to X, the everything app. So I'm just wondering, what does that mean? Like, are we going to have a social media payments, NFT crypto platform that, you know, takes a shot at TikTok, as well as takes a shot at all these other things? I think we might be in the middle of one of the biggest sort of social movements and changes that our society has experienced in forever just by being here. Um, i mean, curious what you all think.
2: Well, he also uh, shut down the content moderation team for a few hours while he put a freeze on some things. And I'm just getting flooded with spam this morning. Um, but the, uh, man, it, it is difficult to proj- uh, predict with these things. It, really, all you can do is wait and see. The, the one thing that I will say that's like completely different is that rather than having to be accountable to shareholders, you now have a private individual who's owning one of the largest social media platforms and I think the implications of that cannot be um, overstated. Uh, essentially, like he can walk in anywhere and be like, this is the product that y'all need to make. And the real question, inevitably, while it's not accountable to shareholders, he does have a loan out against this business and it's a money losing business. So the reality is, is like, he's going to have to not only figure out some way to address some of these other issues that are that are at play but also make it profitable. And uh, that aspect of things, I think makes makes it incredibly difficult for them to, to operate. I'll be uh, like, that pressure is not going to disappear. So until he can get someone, uh, unless he can get someone else to essentially offset the debt that they've taken on, that's essentially the only people that he's accountable to at this point in time. Uh, and additionally, if any of the actions that he takes damages the revenue, in this case, the advertisers, which is the exclusive place where revenue is being generated. There was some discussion uh, yesterday about them making Twitter Blue a, uh, a, a, a premium product. That's essentially where all of the action is going to be for the time being. Because as much as he dreams of some of these other things, a payment rails, for example, doesn't necessarily uh, guarantee them revenue for a for uh, a short period of time. So the fastest action that they're going to be taking, just guaranteed, is how do I increase the revenue on this damn thing? Basically, and I and where I look toward that and have been arguing for a long period of time is that like if you pay, and the conversation was. A premium uh, Twitter Blue, we discussed this with NFTs being a medium for this as well. If you have some way of verifying people and verifying identities as quickly as possible, and actually NFTs aren't good from that uh, from that standpoint, other than the fact that, yes, you own your wallet, but you could be a spammer, um, verifying those identities is the path forward. And, and uh, if they can pay for that, and that impacts the algorithm so that, hey, you are verified, and that ha- uh, that impacts distribution, then suddenly everyone's gonna have to pay uh, if they want people to react to it. I don't think that that's actually a bad thing and that's inherently what's happening anyways. TikTok for example, uh, charges you to do promoted um, uh, promoted uh, videos and you can do promoted tweets on Twitter. you can do promoted posts on Facebook and that is a revenue channel. If they switch that to a subscription service, I don't know, I think there's a lot of compelling stuff but uh, over the short term, that's all I anticipate to really have uh, any impact whatsoever. And the only other question to me is like, I think the content moderation, if if they don't handle that effectively, and I'm not even talking about all the political stuff uh, where people talk about who gets censored, blah, blah, blah. I'm speaking strictly about bots and spam. Uh, if that aspect is not managed properly, then advertisers are going to take a hike as well. So it'll be interesting to see um, how this plays out but money is ultimately what drives all of it. Yeah. Before PO wraps us
1: here, because uh, you're going to do, I know you're going to do that. Uh, I just wanted to say charging the blue, the, the professionals and the people who have like a potential meaningful, like, like reason to have a blue check and to have a, you know, distinguished position. I was given my blue check for free. However, if I'm being forced to keep it, to pay 10 bucks or whatever it is, to me it's like, hmm, well like, is is that something I would do? I already pay for Twitter Blue, which is like two or three bucks, four bucks a month, so what's another few bucks a month? Um, you know, I will admit it's, it's kind of cool having a blue check. Like I, it does make me feel cool. So maybe I'd keep it. So I was like, ha, that's genius. You you know, no one else will pay for Twitter, but the blue check bandits will. And I think that's, I think as always, he's, he's fucking onto something.
2: Well, and I'd pay like just to go through that process officially, uh, where you like upload your ID, you're going through the process of verifying your identity. They could even make levels of, uh, blue checks, for example, um, and, they, and they will, I blue. think. I yeah. think they're going to. So, uh, it, it, this makes a ton of sense. And I think from that standpoint, to see that go down would be incredible because the, the biggest problem that we do have at this point in time is a bunch of the spam stuff. Anyways, I hope that he succeeds with it. That That's all uh, I can say. Um, and we can uh, destroy the spam.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I always love hearing Nick's perspective on social media. It's one of the areas that he's most well-versed. I think that we should keep talking about X and what the future of Twitter could be like on another show, but this is it for your Web3 show for Tuesday, November 1st. We do this show Monday through Thursday, 12 p.m. Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time for all you West Coasters out there. Make sure you check out Imposters and Super Farm Dow, Impostors being the gaming empire that Elliot is growing. And of course, check out Elliot's robust YouTube channel, one of the most prolific and most popular content creators in the crypto and really just the, the personal finance and Web3 space at this point. Check out our NFT, the Nifty Portal. It's an ERC 1155 that you'll burn for our ERC 721 profile picture, a collection that's going to hit a blockchain near you. Also gives you access to Easy Eats Bodega's Solana NFT. We we'll we love doing this show. We're going to keep doing it. Thank you for listening. It's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. We will catch you tomorrow, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. See you tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen.